Hey, everybody, it's Friday, and we've got five great stories for you. First up, Bolt is laying off a large number of staff members. And remember, Bolt had convinced their staff that it was a good idea for them to take out loans and buy their stock. Uh oh. Yeah. A little bit of uh-oh. Then mm. we live in the future. We mm. live in the future. Drone deliveries. I mean, honestly, if I had to have taken bets, this would be the thing I thought was never coming. Mm. It's here. It's Drones here. are delivering goods that include laundry detergent, trash bags, and evidently hamburger helper because the per the company pioneering this is not Amazon. It's Walmart. Mm. And I have a theory. First. I have a theory of why they got there first. Mm -hmm. And then everybody's other favorite feature, startup of the day. We have a company called Lunar Outpost that raised 12 million to go send rovers to the moon and mine the moon. I wonder what they're looking for up there, Molly. Mine in the moon. We're going to we're going to have a lot of ideas. I mean, it is a real Friday variety show. And then we could not let the week end without talking about A16Z's largest crypto fund. The firm really at this point I think should be called A16C for crypto. <laughs> we're going to break down though whether they're in uh in over their heads. Yeah, 4.5 billion additional dollars seven over seven billion total going into crypto that's a big bet uh, and a scary bet finally seth green uh a star of uh tv and uh, the silver screen had his bored ape which is going to be in a tv show apparently stolen from him and we get into a discussion about ip and rights and terms of service and what you can and cannot do with your bored ape it's going to be a great... Oh, and then... But wait, that's not all because it's that's Friday Variety all. Hour. We've <laughs> but wait, also there's got, more. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Don't go anywhere. Don't touch that dial because we have everybody's favorite Friday segment, other favorite. If it's not We Live in the Future and it's not Startup of the Day and it's not Dunkin' on Crypto, you know it's OK Boomer with Absolutely. producer Rachel. Absolutely. It's going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Gun.io the simplest way for anyone to hire world-class developers expertly vetted by you by senior engineers. Get $250 off your first hire at gun.io slash twist. Embroker. Embroker's startup insurance program helps startups secure the most important types of insurance at a lower cost and with less hassle. Save up to 20% off traditional insurance today at embroker.com slash twist. And while you're there, get an extra 10% off using offer code TWIST. And BetterHelp, providing access to easy, affordable, and private professional counseling anytime, anywhere. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash TWIST. Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. Tons of news happening. We made it, Molly. It was we a rough it. start to the week. So it was a rough week, period. It's and, been a rough uh, week in a string of rough weeks just a lot going on in the world. And I really enjoy our time together here every day, uh, usually 10am. Uh, you can tune in at youtube.com slash this weekend, hit the subscribe button, hit the bell. You're listening to this obviously on the podcast, uh, in all likelihood, but you know, 250 to 1000 people show up when we go live, because a little notification comes out, we call them the noti gang NOTI. And uh, sometimes we'll give them a little um, a gift or a piece of swag or invite them to a party. So, you know, the live audience is like this little tiny piece of the audience. But uh, they're so great because they get to comment in real time on the stories we're covering. And today we have five great stories to cover. Yep. We're sticking to tech today. I am all pretty tech all the time. sure. All tech all the time. Uh, we have an update on Bolt. It's been a while. And I know you've been thinking, what's happening with Bolt? Where's Ryan Breslow? Oh, wait, Where's he Ryan me. Breslow? <laughs> Jason's not sure because he's blocked. I'm blocked. Um, but what is up with Bolt? Well, unfortunately, mm. uh, Bolt, according to tech writer Gurgly Oraz, 
uh, Bolt is laying off an undisclosed number of employees. The CEO, oh. Maju Krunvilla, sent a message today to the all staff on Slack and said, quote, it's not a secret. I feel like now there's like a template for <laughs> for like or maybe it's not, maybe this was sent two days ago not because this uh tweet maybe was from two days ago so today's friday so maybe this was oh like yeah, two yeah day totally tweet, yeah, yeah yes uh so earlier in the week earlier in the week gurgly oroz uh, a tech writer tweeted bolt ceo maju Kronvilla sent a message to all mm. staff on slack he wrote it's not a secret that the market conditions across our industry and the tech sector are changing and against all the macro challenges we've been changing to adapt our business this includes mm. reducing the size of our workforce and parting ways with some incredibly talented people on our team mm. as of today. For those directly impacted in the U.S. and Canada, our goal is to inform you within the next 30 minutes. Mm. People are getting the meeting invites now. Ah, it's yep. rough. It, there's no easy way to do it. Um, nope. But uh, these layoffs are upon us. In fact, Sequoia did a deck. Um my bestie david Sachs did a presentation we talked about it for the last six months here and on the all-in podcast so we all knew this was coming um and i literally just wrote a note to our founder slack we have a founder slack with a couple of hundred of our companies in it and uh, i'll just read it for you very quickly here yeah. um you've read all the tweet storms and decks and listened to the podcast from sequoia david Sachs, myself jamath and countless others talking about the market downturn to make things super clear the only companies getting funded right now are the ones with growing revenue, cash in the bank, low burn, and a clear path to break even. Those four things are what I wrote. Even those, these companies, which I would describe as the top 25% of funded startups, uh, even for these companies, the valuations have reset to five to 20 times revenue. Four million in revenue equals 20 to $80 million valuations. In other words, there is a flight to safety and a repricing occurring. So, paradoxically the startups that need the money the most are not getting funded while the companies that need it the least are getting funded we have six to 12 months in this bottom out period it could be three to six months or 12 to 24 but i think six to 12 months would be the most realistic so if you have under 12 months of runway the best course of action is to cut burn by increasing revenue raising prices reducing salaries doing layoffs and focusing on our on one core business if you are working on two or three business lines products, it might be wise to pause them to increase runway and put all your resources behind your best business line or product. Happy to answer any questions you have here. And our entire team is available to review your restated plans. The down market is where fortunes are made. They're just collected in the up market. It is time to build value and build your career. Things will rebound, but you need to be alive to benefit from that rebound. So do anything you can. To survive the next 12 months yeah uh i've already got 13 and i got about 30 emoji responses <laughs> and a couple yeah. of actual responses that i'll i'll deal with here but here it is folks we told you this was coming and now everybody remember we talked about the layoff contagion and i think i said that when there was one or two companies doing layoffs this is the contagion now this every is company contagion. is assuming yeah. that we're going to be in six to 24 months of downturn um that's a long time if you only have three to 12 months of runway mm -hmm. so that's yeah. all that's happening here it is the 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 one thing that makes this sort of interesting of course mm -hmm. there's the bolt you know the ongoing coverage that we uh have talked about on bolt the absolute obnoxiousness of the former ceo yeah, claiming that. that everybody's against him totally and telling his employees to buy their stock that's the part 
Oh, that yeah. That okay. is the part I think that makes I was this wondering if that was the part that anybody would notice. Exactly. So there's yeah. like all of the mafia stuff, but there's also the part where back in yeah. February, Ryan Breslow yeah. uh, was tweeting about how Bolt had mm. allowed employees to exercise, to early exercise. Basically, I think to take out, in some cases at least, to take out loans yes. to purchase their own options. Loans and from the company, yeah. Loans from the company. Yeah. And at the time, uh, Jeff Richards had tweeted, mm -hmm. for almost every private company in Silicon Valley did this back in the 90s in the dot-com boom. And he wrote, it was an absolute disaster. Employees spent years paying back loans for worthless stock, tax bills for merely exercising, etc. I'm not in the mob, but unfortunately lived it lived through it firsthand as a founder. And Ryan Breslow responded at the time again in February and said, over half of our employees chose this. Oy. Plus, I would strongly encourage my family and friends to choose this. Eesh. But VC says it didn't work in the 90s, so it's a disaster. VC Twitter pumps the tweet. This is why VC-run companies are never able to make strides for employees. So here's a, I mean, I hate the, what, what's that word? Schadenfreude? Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. I literally pronounced that correct. Schadenfreude. Yeah. I mean, it. amazing. You, uh, gave a little shart. you gave a little shart at the time. Uh, I gave a little, I sharted. <laughs> I sharted Friday. You, you sharted it a little bit. Really, shout out to Along Came Polly. And rest in peace, Philip Seymour, Phil, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Rain I Man, mean, Rain Dance. I sharded. Um, if you haven't seen it, Along Came Polly. Have you seen Along Came Polly? Yes. And that is one it's of the greatest lines. It's, it's ever. It's so great. But I mean, here's um, what you need to know. Don't take advice from people on Twitter. <laughs> and um, sometimes, yeah, in all directions, you have to come to your own conclusions in life. I mean, this is one of the big lessons in this era of chaos you know, in some ways exacerbated by social media. This advice is being given on social media. This advice is being given by two, di you have two different sets of advice. One from somebody who's a seasoned vet, who's seen this movie before and lived the pain of it. One from, let's face it, a highly successful kid. Yeah. Who's his first time at the rodeo. Who do you believe? Yeah. Well, I, I would take both things in and talk to an attorney, an accountant, maybe get five or 10 more opinions from people who lived through it and just make an intelligent decision. Here is what is uh, super problematic about what just happened here. They just laid off, apparently, because there was a note from, uh, I think it was the New York Times. Yeah, the New York Times said yeah. Bolt's employee count in Slack, in the main Slack channel went from 900 to 660. So isn't that interesting? Nobody really ever thought about that number before, but mm -hmm. now it's a way to leak how many people are gone to your... <laughs> To the new york times that's bad that's just a good little detective work right there Clever. little detective work so congratulations i mean i think that's going to be spreading everywhere hiring software engineers can take a really long time don't i know it sometimes it takes months but gun.io is going to change that for you right now they're a developer hiring platform they're super focused and here's what makes them different their candidates are expertly vetted and then they're matched to your company by a team of senior engineers not by an algorithm or just a recruiter gun.io developers have eight plus years of experience building products and they're comfortable working directly with founders and executive teams they're going to get you candidates as quickly as 48 hours think about that and the average time to hire is only two weeks 90 percent of the candidates are u.s based and they have a network of vetted international candidates as well if you're looking to hire from other markets, there are two ways you can use Gun.io. Number one, you could work with a freelancer and enjoy Gun.io's ongoing support services. They'll handle the billing and swap out talent for free at any time. 
or you can hire a remote developer directly from the gun.io network for half the typical recruiter's fee. So here's your call to action. Gun.io is the easiest way for startups to find and hire world-class developers. And you're going to get $250 off your first hire at gun.io slash TWIST. So anyway, they, they laid off what looks like a third of the company. 25%, yeah. maybe close to a third. How many people in that third, if half the people took this, statistically, that means 150 people bought their options, uh, took a loan out from the company, now have some sort of, they don't work at the company, so now they no longer have insights to how the company's doing. Are they going to be fully vested? Or are they going to get their shares advanced? I mean, who knows what's going on here? Right. Uh, but this is super complicated because if you laid those people off, Molly, if they only had vested a year, would they have paid for all four years and now they have a loan to the company, they got to return those shares? This stuff gets mechanically and legally incredibly complex, Very which is why they only do it for the founders or like top senior executives because it involves thousands of dollars in legal bills. And um, you know what? When everything's up and to the right, everything seems like a good idea. Mm-hmm. When so things come apart. In February, even in February, there were signs that things were going to come apart. And I hope now yes. I, it's important to note that it's a, a Bolt spokesperson told Bloomberg Okay. That the number of employees who have been laid off and had also taken out loans is, quote, in the single digits. And oh, they the, did. Okay, great. And that the value of their combined loans was less than $200,000. Hopefully so that's could, true. I think okay. we have I to mean, take them at their word. But yeah, I, I wonder mean, if Bolt should just forgive those loans. I wonder if they can. That's another thing. Is, I, I don't know I don't if you know. forgive those yeah. loans, if you have to take the shares back or something. It's well, and then even if you've like, if you did an early exercise, like I do remember a lot of people in the late nineties, I remember one guy in particular who was really wiped out by an alternative minimums tax bill on uh-huh. uh, shares that he had exercised, but had not cashed out. Yeah. Yep. If that makes sense. He had converted them. There was like a conversion that, that, that counted as exercising them. And you had to realize them as income and right. pay a whole bunch of tax on him, even though you had not realized the gains and the money. And then the stock was underwater. Right. I mean, it wiped him out. I think he had to declare bankruptcy. This is why people generally take the most conservative view of these things. That's yeah. why a lot of companies that are sophisticated have just moved to RSUs where they give them to you. Uh, it's just a very challenging thing. And so we wish everybody who lost their jobs there well. Um, mm-hmm. And it probably is the right thing for the company if the company is struggling. And remember, we had that other story where they were getting sued by their biggest customer who was alleging they had securities fraud. Right. So this company's now got tons of headwinds against them. The category is obviously challenged and investors are going to be, you know, challenged to put more money into a company that had such an absurd valuation because I remember they raised that in a really high valuation. So you start putting this all together. Should you go work at this company? If you're at this company, is this the best place to work? And then this is where, you know, another um, contagion happens, Molly. Yeah. Somebody who's working here says there's, so many headwinds against this company my stocks are underwater you know what happens you know what apple just uh some people don't want to go back to the apple campus yeah maybe i'll go i'll take that job and i'll Mm -hmm. go work at apple Uh, oh facebook's yeah flight to safety so facebook's not hiring apple is uber is selectively hiring it's an indulgence or whatever word dar used now you can see how quickly the employment situation changes so Mm -hmm. all the startups and the empl- all the employees who had seven offers, three from startups, four from big companies, now it might come down to you have one or two. And the one or two might be less money than, you know, the seven you had previously. And so this giant reset is happening in the economy. It's going to be painful. Um, and for big for, for companies that are in this tweener situation where they still have to get to profitability, 
um, it becomes really hard. So I think they're doing the yes. right thing by taking the medicine, but oi. I know. But choose wisely if you are an employee out in this market and if you yeah. are at a company in a boom time or a bust time, don't take adv- financial advice from your CEO. Okay? Well, Talk it's a little bit conflicting. Yeah, Talk to get your, your own, own counsel. That's a counsel. good point. Like, it's that, a really good point. It does not, work doesn't love you back. Sorry. I <laughs> literally um, didn't even consider that. It's a very astute observation. You're, you're learning very quickly now that you're on the other side of the table of where the <laughs> conflicts would be. I always tell people when they come to work for me or they're wondering about Carrie, listen, talk to an attorney, talk to other venture capitals, understand how this works. Could be worth zero, could be, you know, you hit the lottery or anything in between. So -hmm. that's why you want to negotiate if you're doing these things for reasonable comp and, you know, great upside potential. But, you know, you you do have to understand that we live in a formalized lottery here in Silicon Valley. It's almost like a casino that's rigged for us. You get paid to stay in the casino. Yep. And depending on how you run, you could run it up and, and be a huge winner. Or you can go to the casino and you just get a big hangover <laughs> and you don't make any money. In this case, man, you're just taking too much risk. But yeah. uh, in other news, Walmart announced they are expanding drone deliveries across six states with operators using uh, a company called DroneUp. And so this is getting very interesting. I saw Joby um, just got approved for air taxis. So a lot of the stuff we heard about drones and VTOLs, I think it's six or seven years ago that became like a big big deal mm-hmm. it's actually starting to happen and, and i said in a prediction yeah. that i thought these would arrive before um self-driving cars without steering wheels totally. so it does seem like I, I don't know if i'll wind up being Almost right but it is neck and neck. yeah totally like we have argo but not widespread mm-hmm. and now we have drones what i find interesting about this is the walmart part amazon reportedly yeah. had invested so much money into this i thought yeah. Um, and it, this will, in fact, be the first large scale drone delivery operation in the United States. So far, they've only been uh, available in a few small towns. Customers could select from a short list of presumably pretty lightweight items. Well, mm-hmm. If you are watching this on video, we're showing uh, a video of, I think, some of this drone delivery getting started. I'm not sure where this is, but it is not it's California. A yeah, it's like it's a miserably snowy. So I mean, it's a Walmart. Yes, but it's a kind of a fascinating if you're listening, it's like, um, there's a, a con- like, a almost like a mobile home, a two story mobile home with a, a roof deck. And then next to it is some sort of a, uh, um, like a two story, like a cherry picker, like a cherry picker with a, a, with a which I think is where the drones launch from. So mm-hmm. we're not sure exactly how this works. I guess one is kind of like the, the tower um that you would see at an airport but only like a three-story one and then the other one is like an observation tower and the other one is actually where the drones go out of i have a theory about why this is a priority for walmart and uh let me let me see if uh uh, we'll run this up the flagpole and let's see if anybody salutes um i said that vtols like Mm -hmm. joby would Mm -hmm. first come to vertical takeoff and landing vertical takeoff and landing thank you joby's of the world uber has a big investment in this space as well um to cities that have water why well if they fall out of the sky they don't land on somebody the chances of it falling out of the sky into new york harbor and hitting a ferry is very low the chances of it falling and hitting you know water in the bay uh, uh, right. is very low same with australia sydney has all the ferry systems so anybody with ferry systems like hong kong sydney new york or san francisco are going to be amazing for vetoes now for drone delivery where would you not have to worry about uh landing on somebody's head molly like rural areas i guess correct perfect in a city 
if you're in New York City and one of these things gets clipped and it Terrible. falls, Disaster. and it it's gonna it's definitely gonna hit somebody. The chances of it not hitting somebody on 57th Street or hitting a taxi is you know <laughs> very low. Yeah, the chances of it landing on somebody in Wisconsin or a non-dense state, Nebraska, Ohio, mm -hmm. Wyoming, the chances there are absurdly low and everybody lives on an acre or a hundred acres. So putting something in your backyard and saying, here's the four cones, drop it here. Everybody in your family knows don't stand it's there. Doable. Yeah. It's so doable. And Walmart and services this area more than Amazon does. Amazon is a city phenomenon. Walmart is a rural phenomenon. I'm going to quickly explain one crucial type of insurance that all startups need. It's D&O insurance. You've heard of this before. You might not know what it is. This is directors and officers insurance, and it helps if somebody does something dumb and you get sued. I don't know how to tell you more plainly, or maybe you didn't do something dumb and some dumb person decides to sue you for a dumb reason. I have seen this. I've seen all flavors of it. You need to have DNO. It's just part of growing up as a startup. And if you don't have business insurance, well, you're going to have failed one of the first steps of being a founder. The best place to look for it is in broker. And broker's technology is going to save you time. It's going to save you money. Prices are up to 20% lower. And you get better coverage than the incumbents. You can go from sign up to quote and purchase in just 10 minutes. When you work with in broker, instead of all those slow incumbents, you're not dealing with those giant lumbering large companies. Sign up takes days, not weeks. And the process is transparent. There is no opaque pricing. So to instantly buy custom-built insurance for startups, go to inbroker.com slash twist. While you're there, you're going to get an extra 10% off by using the code twist. Easy to remember this week in startups, T-W-I-S-T. Go to inbroker, E-M-B-R-O-K-E-R.com slash twist and use that offer code T-W-I-S-T. That's a good, that is an interesting thesis. Tell us what That's you think. Thesis noties uh i mean it's as good it's as good as anything right because it yeah. is interesting that they're getting there first and it does make sense that they're looking for not only a competitive advantage but do have these like this very far-flung network of warehouses they are launching uh to three million households in areas wow. presumably less populated areas it's happening arizona Arkansas, really happening. <laughs> florida texas utah and virginia crazy what is really it gonna cost three and million there's so, two things the cost so that's one percent of america by the way you know there's yeah. three over 300 million people here there's 90 million households or so in the in the united states you know a couple of people per household so they talk about one percent of the population in the united states but these are probably people in rural areas who maybe don't have uh really great access uh, to delivery like it's we, we talked about how GoPuff or uber eats or postmates or instacart don't work in the even in the some suburbs they don't work let alone the country yeah, this is going to open up a whole world because these things, I guess I have three questions. What does it cost? How much weight can it carry? And then what distance can it travel? Those are my three questions. Did they answer any of these? I have answers to two of the three questions. Each Not drone bad. delivery comes with a $3.99 fee. Free, basically. Pretty it's free. freaking cheap. Yeah, like yeah. $4 delivery fee. Uh, customers can order items totaling up to 10 pounds, according Not to CNBC. Bad. And it's only daytime delivery. You can order uh, 8 a.m. Okay, to 8 p.m. So yeah, like you need some shampoo, you need, I mean, this covers a lot of ground. The, the, the 10 so pounds speak. thing, I mean, yeah, so, so to speak. It says that they well, will uh, be delivered in 30 minutes or less. So I'm guessing it's not a very far distance. I mean, that's the one thing about drones is the battery life so far is pretty like. Eh. Um, you know, what's going to be really important in this. We talked about this with uh, the company in our accelerator is packaging. These yes. are going to have to be lightly packaged. So I think there's going to have to be an option if you order cereal. Uh, or if you order a pound of sugar, 
uh, or you order a, you know, a razor in one of those giant plastic boxes, there -hmm. should be an opportunity for you to say unbox and put in paper for me. And because it will reduce the weight Mm -hmm. and space density. So this is going to be amazing because, um, like some of the other products and services we've talked about, um, you know, including the little robots, including piping systems and hydraulic tubes, y- you really want to uh, minimize the size of the item. Like a razor yeah. and a and a toothpaste probably have as much weight or more in the packaging. In packaging, totally. You know, or I guess in in the case of a razor, it probably weighs more in packaging and totally more in space. In the case of toothpaste, it's probably twenty percent packaging. I'm guessing when I open a box of toothpaste. Right. So it's gonna be super yeah. great. Now, how That's far can it go idea. is the other question. I'm guessing these things. What can a drone go? Twenty miles? No I'm problem. Not very far. Well, they, it's a battery is the question. They say yeah. uh, it's about thirty minute delivery um so that's the one the one question 30 we don't have minute answers delivery to. we do have huh. interesting um we don't know if that's 15 minutes each way or 30 but let's just say 20 miles i'm guessing it can go 20 miles yeah that, that would be my guess because there's they also are lowering to the ground these are quadcopter type things they're mm-hmm. not like drones like military drones or sky catcher whatever the other ones were that were fixed wing right these are lowered to the ground release the box and then take off again um, this is awesome. Also, I love the little data that CNBC has about what types of things customers have been ordering in the tests. Gallon um, of milk, sugar, Walmart, cigarettes. Walmart was like, oh, they're going to get over-the-counter medication, like things they really need. Uh, one store that was a test site reported that the top seller for drone delivery is... Coffee, of course. You hamburger Helper. All right. Well, that, that confirms my theory <laughs> that this is for hillbillies. Like this is totally, for people living in the I country. Know, I was like... Thank ain't, you. Nobody, ain't nobody in Manhattan or San Francisco got hamburger for, helper in their pantry. Thank you for going coastal elite so that I didn't have uh, to because we were I'm all going coastal elite. Other frequent items delivered by drone are batteries, trash bags, laundry detergent, and Welch's fruit snacks. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I think we, uh, <laughs> Winston's, <laughs> Winston's and uh, Pabst Blue oh Ribbon. <laughs> it lowers it on like a cable. That uh, is yes. incredible. Yeah, that's because they don't want you going anywhere near the blades. Look, that makes total huge sense. So it's a winch and a huge brick house and a, like a McMansion neighborhood. Yeah, Dude, that's I'm just like, I want drone delivery. This is Brad. I think, you know, uh, for me, let me think. It's going to be coffee. Yeah. Beans. When I run out of coffee beans, because that's not negotiable. If oh, I don't have, have coffee in the morning, I'm driving. I do have a oh, subscription. God. I was yeah. using Fonte coffee, F-O-N-T-E. Shout out to Fonte. Uh, but I stopped for a little bit, you know, because I was doing it for like four years and I just mm. wanted to try some other beans. So right. I may go back, but I'm looking if anybody has coffee up. subscription suggestions, let me know. I but mean, I do. That's one I of the nice. Pete's. You do Pete's and they I love brew their it. espresso forte. Well, because I have a ah. Breville espresso maker. I'm very yes. Yes. specific about my Americano situation. So you have a one touch and you want fresh beans and they yeah. have, so the, do they, the do they give you the roast date? Like the roast mm-hmm. date is on X date and you get it, what, five days out, 10 days out from roasting? Pretty much. I get a, a delivery every two weeks. So it's pretty perfect. Yeah. So it's probably takes under seven days to get there. And I think when you roast coffee, correct me if I'm not, there's like a five day sit that has to occur for gases to release or something. Something so like that. So it might be actually advantageous, you know, or it might be fine that it gets shipped over, you know, a week or something. But yeah, I, it came in a nice box, like a small enough box that I didn't feel too bad about it. Yeah, um, there's no packaging. So. It's literally two pounds of coffee in a cardboard box, and that's it. 
That's like it's it. Not, yes. No, no Which fancy. Like there's yeah. no plastic in it. I like that about the Fonte coffee I was ordering. This is going to be great. I mean, a gallon of milk is 8.6 pounds. pounds. So mm. you could literally, direct, I mean, a half, a half gallon of milk. You could, I wonder if this thing is fast enough that if you delivered ice cream, it would melt. The ice cream test is coming. Um, six pack of beer is coming. Like there's going to, and you know, the, we go the on way a field trip. Let's like rent an Airbnb be in pretty Utah. Great. Yeah, send and then somebody. Just do a whole segment. Or actually, even or better, we have, an, we have an audience. If anybody in our audience oh, will yeah. actually use this, we'll pay for your delivery. So up to 50 bucks, deliver whatever the heck you want. I'll pay for it. Send me the receipt. And just, we ask you to videotape it and send videotape. us a mini review. So look Love in your it. phone, give us a mini review, send it in, and we'll get the first review of these and tell us if uh, it was worth doing. And this we'll, is how we'll he saves money thing. as he spikes all my field trip ideas and yeah, outsources nice them to you, nice which try, is Molly. <laughs> not, I love a I'm field not, trip. If they send us a video and it's a legit video from Walmart, they send us the receipt. I'll give them 50 bucks. What, yeah. Up to 50 bucks. I mean, don't abuse it. I mean, it's kind of hard. 10 pounds. I mean, I guess you could order batteries or something, but, um, yeah. and Walmart is a small and investor. And it'll be the first one up. we get. It's going to be the first one we get. Uh, for sure. And it's yeah, a usable video. We're not going to refund them all. So yeah, don't send 50 of these. First yeah, one, yeah, the first get. one in gets paid. The other rest of it's on you. First one in gets um, paid. And maybe we have Drone Up on the pod at some point. So CEO, uh, founders of Drone Up, we'd love to have you on here. Let's uh, talk. So that was our We Live in the Future. Pretty much. Uh, yeah. Which is going to be our Netflix HBO show. I, well, you want to do it on Netflix or HBO? What do you want me to? HBO's got bigger budget, but Netflix moves fast and is international has bigger audience. So yeah. you let I me mean, know, honestly, Molly, what's in your, you what, what's me, a priority for that. you? I'm all about that populist trash. Let's go Netflix all the way. Okay, Netflix all the way. Okay, my Netflix, you, got, you won. Netflix, you won. <laughs> Sorry to my friends at HBO. I, I got I people like sweating me for deals. I may have damned them with faint praise a little bit. I, really, we're going to go with whoever offers us the most money. Let's be honest. No, no. I don't know if that's a... Well, we're that's not? a good point. Well, we just, I, I, well, we don't care about money. We care about budget. People are going to watch us either way. Exactly. That's what budget, I mean. Like, who's going oh, like, to give us creative control, ownership uh, of our IP, and well, the not, Nobody's giving ownership of IP. We may have to concede that one for we live in the future. But anyway... Um, and also, we need a producer for uh, that. So I'm going to probably use one of our intern. We're hiring a fourth producer mm -hmm. here. So you can email your resume to producers at thisweekinstartups.com or nick at thisweekinstartups.com. We're looking for a fourth producer so I can take Nick, who is the senior producer right now, and have yeah. Nick work on one of our uh, show ideas. Because I want to actually, you know, I'll, I'll flip the whatever it costs, 25, 50 grand to make a pilot. And we'll just make our own pilot, right? And we'll cut it ourselves. And like, then we'll be like, hey, look, we know what the we're doing um all right Kay. so that's anyway. our we live in the future yeah and by the way the largest reality tv company in the world who produced like five of the last 10 largest reality shows of the last decade yeah sent me in a contract and they are sweating me they are really? fans of all in and they're like jake we want to do something around you investing in companies open concept like we just want to have the rights for you for a year to go meet with people. I was like, oh, that's very charming. Mm. Uh, yeah. Mm. So, you know, here we go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's okay. I got, I got your Wonder Woman. You're with me. Don't worry. Yeah, you know, you'll I'm be not, involved. It's cool. I'm <laughs> you'll not, be involved. I got your I'm Wonder Woman. I'm not stressing. I believe. Oh, I believe. no, no. I mean, you got your own inbound. No, that's what I mean. Apparently. I trust you, partner. Yeah. You got your own inbound. Sometimes people don't even realize the stress they're under. They get physical symptoms like headaches. Maybe they're grinding their teeth. I used to do that. Even digestive issues, right? You get that pit in your stomach. Well, those are all indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling like I do. Oh my God. And not getting enough sleep. When you're a founder or a capital allocator, 
The weight of the world is on your shoulders and it's stressful. And listen, it's been a stressful couple of years with the pandemic and the swings in the stock market. So here's your reminder to take care of yourself and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers you video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. There is no shame in the game of getting therapy. Go do therapy, get some stuff off your chest, have somebody listen to you, and just have a place where you can spend an hour, a half hour, whatever it is, and just let it be about you and solving your problems and releasing a little bit of that anxiety. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can do it on your time, and you can do it at your space, right? So give it a try. Twist listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash twist. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash twist. All right, here we go. Startup of the day. Why don't you cue this one up? Startup. So, okay, we had We Live in the Future. Now we have a startup of the day, which is also pretty People damn futuristic. People love the segments. People love these segments. They're so good. We need stings. We need some uh, some audio transitions yeah, for these. Hold, I'm which starting way? to get... Young Spielberg. Let's go, Spielberg. I need oh, some stings Spielberg, from Spielberg. We need some stings. I need startup a Spielberg of the day. sting. Lunar Outpost. Lunar Outpost has raised a $12 million seed to build moon exploration and mining technology. It's like half we live in the future, half startup of the day. According to Axios, quote, the moon is poised to become a major geopolitical and scientific center of operation in space as more nations and companies turn their attention to the lunar surface. Sure. A number of companies have plans to take advantage of that interest by figuring out how to extract resources from the moon and Mm. get paid to do it. So the money will fund this company, uh, Lunar Outpost, its plans to build a new autonomous rover for the moon. And then, of course, amp up what technology it currently offers. They plan to launch a rover onto the moon within the year. Wow. Yep. So they're going to go to the moon and start taking samples and then try to get them to come back. Yep. Or maybe in their first version, they'll just take samples and analyze them up there and send the data back. They'll probably send the data uh, back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Getting the they, getting the the actual they're probably never going to bring the rover back. We're just now we're going to start littering on the moon. Then there's going to be an opportunity for a company to go and scoop up all the stuff from the moon. Have you read The Moon is a Harsh Mistress by uh, Arthur C. Uh, no. No. It's really it? good. It's a, it's basically yeah. about a future in which there is a mining colony on the on moon, the moon. Huh. At, that, you know, spoiler alert, of course, wants to declare its independence from Earth because that's how those books always play out. Mm. Um, the Lunar Outpost has a $1 contract with NASA currently to collect okay. lunar dirt for the agency. But, huh. you know, obviously this is mainly about creating this like framework for companies to mine the moon on behalf of an agency. I wonder what do we know? What I'm going to go ahead of, and offer, I'm going to offer a hundred bucks for the dirt. I just outbid NASA hundred to one. I'll take a hundred bucks for a bag of dirt from the moon. <laughs> What's in the dirt on the moon? What if we get up there and it's like, yeah, it's nothing more than it. The moon is just like a piece that came off the earth or some other planet. There's nothing valuable up there. And what are the chances? Do we know there's something valuable on the moon? That's exactly what I just looked up. Helium yeah. three uh, is this. evidently on the moon. It's rare on earth, but abundant on the lunar surface. So that's a big okay. one because that's, um, the fuel source for nuclear fusion reactors should yes, those that's ever a fusion, be developed. Yeah. So that's a big deal. Other okay. rare earth metals evidently uh, exist on the moon. Okay. Is, I'm sort of scanning. Only, quickly, I mean, trying to that's going to be great for nuclear energy. So, I mean, here's an idea. What if we put on the moon, put the nuclear reactor on the moon, and then somehow had a way to get the energy from the moon to the earth? Now, I know that sounds science fiction wise, but if we put something on the moon and 
there was, you know, God forbid on the moon, a uh, three mile island or a Fukushima mm -hmm. or Chernobyl. Well, nobody lives there. So it's not going to damage anybody. We don't have this like thing. So theoretically, if the fusion reactor was on the moon, would there be a way to light it up and somehow get it to earth? I'm thinking like a directional, you, you know, stream of energy. Well, you know, what you can do is if you solve for back and forth transportation, which isn't that hard, it seems like, okay. um, you know, on a relative basis, the, I was talking to my boyfriend about this because he's in renewable energy. And I was telling uh -huh. him about Elon Musk's comments, actually, that solar is better than fusion because you'd have to build this big infrastructure for yes. fusion. And he was like, no, it's de like decentralized distribution mm -hmm. is actually the way like that's the way that renewable energy is going solar. And then also that's the way to make fusion work. Like basically every household gets a little Tony Stark nodule. So yeah. if you could create if you could manufacture the nodules mm -hmm. on the moon in this like sort of safe environment potentially safe-ish and then mm. just bring those home Safer. and then every house like gets one because the thing is you only need one it's a ah. it's a permanent power source got it this it's is like super sci-fi and i don't know what i'm talking about exactly yeah, to me, be clear. Me either. i'm like okay good luck <laughs> i hope that works tony star whichever tony stark is, makes it um, if we can like if we can solve fusion with with hydrogen three that we get from the moon the moon and then have an unlimited effectively free energy source we can solve huh. every problem every it problem will, that yeah, it will, i mean you just think about like uh all the challenges of shipping stuff around the world and flying people around the world and keeping yeah. people warm like i mean a part of the reason people don't live in certain parts of the world is it's too hot to air condition and too cold to heat or or yeah. both of those things depending on the season and so those places are hard to live in part of the reason we don't have water is because desalinization is expensive part of the reason yeah. we don't have great vegetables available to everybody is because certain places require an inordinate amount of water in order to uh do that but we have plenty of water we just need to be able to clean it and yep. ship it and shipping and cleaning water takes energy so this is why if we had five nuclear power plants along the pacific ocean which we do <laughs> have some and we had desalination, and there are some and we put them next to each other or solar farms and some combination of these we could actually just uh have water flowing into arizona or something like you know we're, totally. we're more than willing to build a pipeline filled with oil well, what about a pipeline filled with water and you literally get it out to an area that's more arid and can't grow stuff and now you can grow stuff and you don't really have to worry about the water because the water goes into the earth and goes into the water table and gets evaporated and it's exactly sustainable and that's just and vision you're just talking about the nuclear energy that we already have fusion yes, yes. even more hundred percent solvable and that's yeah. like that's unlimited yeah. that you do whatever yeah. you want you solve every freaking problem it's coming energy it's is cost. free and it's coming except right. china is going to get there first at this rate and then we're screwed next well, I don't, yeah i don't know i'm, I'm i think china's going to go into a civil war i think they they're they, they bit off a little more than they can chew we can we can criticize our plan we can criticize like, our system here we got a lot of things it's like a race to civil war at this point but well, we'll i mean if you yeah yeah who's gonna have some <laughs> i mean if you think about it the issues we fight over are so frustrating because they are so easy to solve, you know, for a modern society, we just happen to have some weird constitution that makes some things and, and, and uh, you know, a weird uh, yeah. government system that makes some things harder and voting system to, to, to resolve abortion, gun control, we know the list. But then we Finally. also have freedom to pursue this and have somebody create a company like this and get it funded. Right. So I'm going to go with our freedom and weird problems we have a hard time solving that Xi Jinping or 
Putin can just sign with a stroke of a pen and be like, here's how abortion works. Here's how guns work. Here's how high speed trains work. <laughs> discussion over our messy system. Maybe, you know, it, it's why we can make this company that's going to go to the moon and collect dirt. <laughs> so, yes. you know, take and the then, good with the bad. Honestly, we might just end up in a war with China over who owns the moon, but that's like a whole separate issue. Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, there's like a, there's a treaty. We should, it would be really interesting to get somebody on and do a show about, all of this sort of this well there is like a space treaty that sort of like tries mm. to lay out ownership and what you can monetize and when and well, a lot of that is about to get tested for like a nanosecond of time i was like i want my next career to be space lawyer but then i changed my mind seriously like that is going to be a yeah. massive industry your honor this is unacceptable space we lawyer. were here on the moon we had set our water vaporizers up we had started <laughs> terraforming and then this person came over and started terraforming in our plot and it's literally yeah. going to be like california that's, like, that's it that's like, exactly what it's going to be like it's gonna be a battle like well okay on what date did you start you terraforming on it which you know which quadrant of the moon did you start terraforming okay <laughs> i'm going to split the difference <laughs> you I get claim, half the terraforming I claim this moon for launch <laughs> I mean, look at today's show. We're literally talking about. I love it. You know, getting so helium grateful. three off the moon <laughs> and drone deliveries delivering hamburger helper yeah. to these poor hillbillies who ran out of hamburger helper. And sorry to hillbillies everywhere. Honestly, I'm referring to. Is it not? I thought hashtag, hillbillies. Hashtag I thought people elite. were proud of being hillbillies. No, I'm talking about hamburger helper. It's not good for you. Oh, okay, good. I thought you were admonishing me for marginalizing hillbillies no look, um, listen i spent five minutes in miami and you want to know what i told my friends i was like i'm a coastal elite this place is trash <laughs> oh my god well I, I i i should tell my joke about miami i lived in new york where everybody was beautiful ambitious and smart yep then i moved to la and everybody was beautiful and ambitious mm-hmm and then i Spend some time in Miami, where everybody is absolutely beautiful. So beautiful, aren't they? That's it. Also, that's it. Not it everyone. But well, they don't seem to care. There is a there. <laughs> there is another factor. I do think, and we're not going to get ourselves in trouble here. Oh, but we there, are. Oh, we are. <laughs> no, I I know how to phrase this. I am super body positive. I don't want anybody to feel bad for their body. However, in my personal experience. When I was 40 pounds overweight, I didn't wear a mankini. Now that I've lost 40 pounds, in another 12 pounds, I will be wearing a Speedo and I will be on the beach at Mi Miami. Boom. But not until that time. Because I would yeah. like to be modest. But when this body is ripped and I look like Chamath, yes, I will be doing a shirt off selfie. Done. And that's a, that's a lock. I mean, if 64-year-old, I'm sorry, 67-year-old Professor... Galloway can take his shirt off. I can take my shirt off. I'm I'm 16 years younger than. Him. Absolutely. Uh, let's keep going. <laughs> let's keep going. <laughs> let's keep going. All right, this is weed. The whole town. Okay. Uh, eight. <laughs> there was a lot of booty <laughs> in Miami. A lot of booty. Whether you wanted it or not, booty. it wasn't really your choice, Polly. Oh, you were going to get booty. It was not. It was not your choice. No. And there's no HR department in Miami. Also, this I kid you not. My brother and I were having ceviche and uh, a car drove by and I kid you not, there were three people twerking, one twerking out of one window on one side, one twerking out of another. Another one was laying on the top of the car 
Not the hood. Yeah. The roof. No, there's no rules. I mean, she was on the roof. No rules. And she was on all fours twerking on the roof of the vehicle. And I just thought to myself, I can appreciate some dancing in the afternoon. Yeah. But is that safe? Does it? I mean, if the car has a sharp start and you're twerking, you're going flying off the hood. This is just dangerous twerking. Definitely. Yep. I don't, I don't know. I mean, look, they told me there were no rules in Miami and that appears to be the case. I mean, the, I thought if you were in New York and you were twerking on the roof of a car, police would pull you over and they would arrest you. And they, that's it. Game over. All right. Yep, listen, yep. talking about game over. Let's A16 talk about crypto, Z. shall we? Yeah. <laughs> talk about game over. Let's talk about crypto. <laughs> Let's talk about crypto, shall we? Exactly. Because okay. A16Z, Brutal transition. Uh, to, to borrow some parlance, is yeah. all in on crypto. <laughs> A16Z has raised another four wait, and wait. a half billion dollars <laughs> to invest what? strictly in crypto startups and projects. This is Andreessen's fourth crypto fund, which will be broken into one and a half billion allocated for seed investments, and then three billion for venture investments, which are slightly later stage. That brings the total crypto funds raised to $7.6 billion. And during this same time period, 2018 to 2022, A16Z's original fund, which invests in ho-hum tech startups that don't pay them twice with tokens, has only raised $4.6 billion. Like, they're just a crypto wow. fund now. That is bonkers. So, in order to make this work, just so people know, $4.5 billion for this fourth fund. Later stage funds, you know, you, you don't have the same multiple expectations because a larger number, but this seems obscene and insane. Mm-hmm. You would mm-hmm. have to return, uh, in order for this to be considered a success, basically three times. So, right. three times so 4.5 when- is 13.5. So you got to return 13.5 billion. It seems very hard to do. Well, they got to return uh, 20, almost 22, 20, a little over for, 22 for billion for take, all of it. I know. It's a lot. It's, it's a, a lot, lot of money. I mean, um, if, and you, you only, they only get to own 10% of each project, right? So if Coinbase is worth 15 billion right now, I think, and they own 10% of Coinbase, if they had owned 10% of Coinbase, I don't know what right. they owned. But that, that would be a stretch because, you know, that's hard to maintain commercial ownership. But let's just say it, it does happen. That would be 1.5 billion. So in this case, to get to 15 billion, they would need to have, just for this latest fund, 10 Coinbases in it. Coinbase is one of one in the crypto field, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so this is, uh, you know, the increased size of a fund makes it really hard to get an actual return. And that's why most people... Uh, yeah, I'm hard time. Math is a hard math is a harsh mistress, even I, harsher than the moon. I mean, right when you put it in those terms, it's like, mm-hmm. what are these LPs thinking? 10 coin bases? Yeah, well, here's the thing. In 10 there years? Is, well, we also know about uh, the grifting and bag holding um, and the back dealing that occurs in crypto. Now, I'm not accusing Andreessen of that, but other people have. Um, like, I think Jack... Um, Dorsey, Dorsey was very clear on Twitter saying like, oh, yeah, you are buying the coins before everybody else has to them. You're the opposite of building a democracy, you know, democratizing investing. You're getting in early on these coins for a penny. The bag holders wind up being the, um, you know, the, the retail investors who buy them for $100 or $10 or a dollar even. Um, and, and they get to liquidate them. And typically the VCs especially these early ones, my understanding, Jack had said this, not me, I'm, I'm not making any accusations here. I know Chris yeah. Dixon, a nice enough fellow, and I, we're friendly with each other. I mean, we're not exactly friends, but we're friendly. Um, we know each other for over 20 years, I think. 
um, and I wish them the best. But I do think that when all of this winds up getting investigated in the final instance, if, if an Amazon or three don't come out of this, Mm -hmm. And the government starts unpacking everything. They're going to look at this self-dealing and trading. Like I, you got to think that the Department of Justice and SEC wants to understand what's going on with these, you know, secure these tokens that behave like a security that investors are buying. And now mm -hmm. the investors are buying these tokens. They're an investment firm. They're not using the tokens for utility. Right. So you have an investment firm buying these tokens and then flipping them. Right. Uh, and this then is, the public's buying them. This seems to me to be highly illegal or against like securities law. My now, I'm not accusing anybody of doing anything illegal. To be right. clear, I'm nope. just saying it might appear to the SEC, given what their pursuit of XRP and Ripple, and who knows where that case will wind up, that a venture firm knowingly doing this and buying these coins early, if that was what was happening, like Jack said in his tweets, mm -hmm. if that's happening, I think the SEC has got to be all over this. Well, and we have talked to companies who have said... Uh, I think, you know, our investors own uh, some percentage of our tokens. We did an interview to that effect. 30%, 20%. Yeah. And so that is like fundamentally my question about these mm. funds. Uh, we keep saying these funds, like it's code A16Z going so hard into crypto. Is like yeah. my, my thesis here is mm. aren't they getting paid twice? They are taking equity in these companies. And yes. if there is a token and they get an early issuance of the token, then not only do they get paid twice, but they get paid one way that has a lot more liquidity. Right. Compared That's true. The tokens to are instantly liquid and the they're instantly private company liquid. stock. And the if private the LPs company stock is yeah. Don't if the LPs don't get a cut of the token, no, they do. proceeds. Like, do yeah. they? Like they the, would, I would yeah. I would love to see that contract. But you can understand why it would be attractive to either the LPs or the firm itself. Some tokens, of course, yeah. have lockups and can't be instantly liquid, but they're still more liquid than equity. But it's generally first in, first out. Um, right is uh, i think what happens here I, and so it I'm does, I, like it does start to feel like a really big scheme like you can sort every, of see why you would want to get paid twice if you could but it's sort of like i, I like the innovation I i'll be questions. honest i just think this feels like you know it, and i think chris dixon said you know um in a blog post hey listen uh we are i'm just gonna have some quotes from chris dixon and i'll give you my reactions to them we think we are now entering the golden era of web3 o okay maybe um, I, I would like to see some actual products. Mm -hmm. And he says programmable blockchains are sufficiently advanced and a diverse range of apps have reached tens of millions of users. Now this one I have a problem with. Yeah, if you took out tens of millions of users, the word users should be replaced here with speculators, mm -hmm. uh, investors, and they're not users. Ten there are not tens of millions of users of crypto. There are in tens of millions of investors in crypto. Yes. Everybody who is buying NFTs, uh, that do not have a specific right associated with them, like getting into Fry Fish Club or, you know, whatever. Uh, or, you know, after party getting into a music festival. If you're buying an NFT just for the art and flipping it, that's an investment. If you're buying tokens or Bitcoin or Ethereum or Solana or whatever that's it is, an investment. that's an investment. Mm -hmm. So these are not users, they're investors. It's not a coincidence that the biggest names in crypto right now are exchanges. Yes. Right, Coinbase. It's not a diversified set of apps, right? It's apps no. for buying and selling crypto and crypto-related assets. So here's where I think he's not being intellectually correct. There's two parts of the sentence. I got the first. I got the second one. You got the first, actually. I didn't even consider that. A diverse range of apps. They're not diverse. That's not true. They're yeah. far from diverse. The apps yeah. all center around speculation and money transfer and storage, which are kind of the same thing. When you buy a diamond 
or gold or American dollars or a stock or a piece of art, there is a store of money to it. There's an appreciation of money to it. And in some ways you can transfer them, right? You can take your coin, your gold bullion, your piece of art, and you can transfer it to somebody. That's not a range of apps. It's a kind of one app, also known as investing. Mm-hmm. And if the whole yeah. thing's investing and nobody's actually using this stuff, like, I don't know, do, has, is anybody storing their photos on Filecoin? Or is anybody using a, the distributed, um, there was the distributed uh, rendering platform where they were going to render Pixar movies across a distributed set of blockchain, you know, of extra CPUs. That's not happening yet either. So, man, they better hope that some of these products ship because if it doesn't ship and this thing keeps going down, this is going to be cataclysmic. Uh, and, you know. And I have to, I mean, bonkers. I just have such a philosophical, I consider this a war for the planet in some ways, right? Like there's, uh, you've got mm-hmm. A16Z that's raised seven and a half billion dollars in venture funding for crypto projects, yeah. m- many of which remain incredibly energy intensive. And you have in 2021, $37 billion worth of funding going into climate tech venture capital. Yeah. Like we're just getting like, you know, outgunned. By where should the money investment. go? It's like, that's where all the FOMO is, is in crypto. I mean, yeah. that's a lot of money going into climate tech funding. But I just find that I'm like, so I feel like that to me is yeah. the well, book about put, what yeah. venture Wouldn't capital have could to, have done when. We, we'd have to put all the crypto funds together, right? And so it would be interesting to put the climate tech funding by year against crypto funding by year. And yeah. it doesn't just include, Molly, the VC funding. Because in climate tech, you have downstream investors, sure. Oh, for but sure. You yeah. also have a layer of investors that's the public being involved in crypto. So you kind of have to put two layers. Here's the institutional money. Here's the public's money. And, and that's where and, and the third thing he says in this blog post, they are brilliant and passionate. More importantly, a massive wave of world class talent has entered web three over the last year, they are brilliant and passionate and want to build a better internet. I don't disagree with this. I think there's a lot of passionate people over over there. There are um, a lot of some passionate of them are people. talented. Some are talented. I think nine out of 10 are passionate like New York, LA, Miami. (laughs) He could, I mean, there's a reason why Miami is the center. Some are talented. (laughs) If you were going to, if you were going to trace crypto back, Miami's the hub. LA is the second hub. New York's the first hub. So do the math on my theory. It kind of works backwards, right? (laughs) On the plus side, it looks like crypto uh, in 2021, at least crypto venture capital was like maybe about 30 billion total compared to climate. Climate's 37 billion. So we got those people. We got this. Well, it, 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 the question the is, which is, our backs. which is more important for the for the planet is a good question. You know, people's sovereignty of money is important, you know, just like Absolutely. people's information is important. And the internet played such a big role. So if this is the equivalent of the internet for money, sure, it's possible. Um, but I would really like to see more product ship. Yes. Uh, and I don't know what game Andreessen Horowitz is playing here, but it seems like a dangerous one. All right. Uh, I saw over the last week that something happened with actor Seth Green. He had a board ape. It was stolen. The story right is before he was going to launch a show. Amazing. That was yep. going to feature his board ape main character. Now I told people plenty of times. I think the board ape club is interesting because of the mm-hmm. shared collective IP universe. Imagine if a thousand people each bought a Marvel character and then could exploit the Marvel character and make whatever they wanted collectively that would be chaos and perhaps interesting yeah obviously to make marvel work uh disney had to not only buy marvel but then they had to go get some licensing agreement for spider-man which was owned by sony because marvel did exactly this 
Marvel gave away the rights to 20th Century Fox for uh, the Fantastic Four and X-Men. And that's why certain cameos over the years, Spider-Man, X-Men, Fantastic Four included, uh, happened in like phase three or four of the Marvel Universe because they had to mm -hmm. re- consolidate that ownership but anyway i do think it's an interesting concept it is right yeah i don't exactly. know how what happened here molly so the ip question is is profound and fundamental and that of course has has drawn in people like seth green who bought a board ape and was and developed a show mm -hmm. around this ip that would feature his board ape as the main character and okay then he did have his wallet hacked and uh no i'm sorry he was fished he had four nfts uh. stolen earlier in May in a phishing scam. And one of them was in fact, board ape number 8398 mm -hmm. on which this show is based. Mm -hmm. Then a few minutes later, just like that, almost suspiciously quick, uh, some have mm -hmm. speculated, someone uh, bought an anonymous account, Darkwing84, bought that board ape for over $200,000. It happened uh. so fast that Buzz Green was like, Buzzfeed was like, uh oh, uh, it seems like maybe the thief and the buyer were connected, but we don't really know. Seth Green started tweeting, hey, Yuga Labs, please don't buy or trade these while I try to resolve this. Um, hey, at Darkwing84, looks like you bought my stolen ape. Hit me up and we can fix it. And then... Hmm. Darkwing84 again. Darkwing84. Uh, Seth Green Always now is tweeting, stuff. looking forward to precedent setting debates on IP ownership and exploitation. Having spent 18 years studying copyright and industry laws, I'd rather meet Darkwing84 to make a deal versus in court. We can prove the promise of the ape community. And then writer and CEO of the media relations company, uh, EZPR, Ed Zitron, tweeted a screenshot of the Yuga Labs ownership rules, which basically say, you are SOL. Like, yes, it is so clear in the ownership rules that whoever that possession is all whoever owns the mm -hmm. product owns the IP. Yuga Labs has no input. On that, and we'll do They've nothing. They've washed their hands of it. They don't want anything to do with it. to protect you. We will well, not here's freeze, the thing. seize, yeah. or otherwise modify the ownership. That is not how U.S. copyright works. If he had acquired this, Seth Green, and made IP based on it, and then trademarked that IP, that subsequent derivative IP would also have IP on it. The so derivative this person IP. Who's derivative IP, right? Yeah. So if you had created a Marvel character, say Spider-Man, and then you added the Green Goblin, or you made a Spider-Man comic book, Mm -hmm. Or let's say you made a Spider-Man doll, a character, like a, a, an action figure. Perfect. You make the Spider-Man action figure, right? And then you make a black one, like a, what do they call the, the black version of Spider-Man? Spawn or something? Or the evil version? There's all right, these the different Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. There's a dark Spider-Man who's a, Venom. There's like a whole bunch of these. Venom, Spawn, there's a whole group of Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. Spider-Men. So you take those, and Spider-Girl actually. So you take all those, those would be derivative IP that would be owned by the person. So that's a question I have for Yuga Labs. If I were yeah. to buy this board ape, and then I said this board ape got cloned, and I now have a 100 other apes, and I made them in all different styles, and they went through, they got bit by a spider, and now I have a spider board ape, I would own that IP. There's no way to stop it. So can you make derivative works is question number one I have. Um, but I think he's not SOL. I think this is Yuga Labs doing CYA rather than SOL. They're oh, saying, sure. we don't yeah, want to yeah. be involved in this. Anyway, the other thing th they're this saying person is who we're stole it's going to jail. You. Yeah, they're not going to help. But this person who stole it will go to jail. I mean, it's computer fraud and it's a felony and it's a it's grand theft because it's a large, expensive thing. Yeah, could be. And we have no idea, by the way, if the anonymous, if the Darkwing eighty four account is actually 
uh, attached to the thief, but we do know that the purchase occurred really quickly. And yes, I mean, this sets up a show, you know, and I think that's what Seth Green is saying in that tweet is he's like, look, this is going to set up a showdown between terms of use, terms of service, which is what Yuga Labs has. Yes. And actual existing copy US copyright law, like you're saying, uh, and derivative rights and and what when IP is conferred. But either way, with Mm. respect to a show that he's planning to launch, there's some entity out here who seems malign, who owns this asset, and he's got a whole show attached to it. And so minimum show. Mm. Minimum show. And that's interesting. There's board ape beverages out there. That's interesting. I guess so. Yeah. I just saw a picture of like a board ape on a can of soda. So I do think that they've got something here. Here's another crazy question. Are there limits to the types of media I can create with my board ape? I'm thinking of a certain type of media that's the number one <laughs> user of bandwidth on the internet that is uh, a little bit uh, adult in nature. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, could so you saying, could you have nudie apes? Yeah. Could you have adult? No longer board. Apes? board. <laughs> it would be yeah yeah um, enthused apes. So sorry. Yes. Here we go. It's been a long day, long week. So could you have enthusiastic apes doing adult pursuits uh, in a graphic fashion? Because that would then mess up the IP for everybody else. So what if you made a murdering ape? What if you made a sociopathic ape? What if you made adult yeah. content with apes? Is that allowed or not in their terms of service? That's an interesting question yeah. for somebody to answer here. Because I, mean, I feel like if you can make a TV show out of it, because you, quote unquote, own the IP, you can do whatever you want. But if you were licensing that, if you own the IP, but there was a terms of service associated with it for being part of the group, the group might have agreed no adult content or no, what about mm-hmm. hate speech? What sure. if you made a terrorist one? What if you made one and you turned it into uh, Al-Qaeda's you know, new mascot and this is right. like you're going to start blowing buildings up and putting this on the side of bombs or something i mean th- i mean you're giving crazy people stuff, a right? lot of ideas uh, like I'm all not, of that's gonna happen to, no, no no i'm not saying you're giving people ideas uh, yeah, i'm just saying I'm, like yeah all you're that's right, gonna happen you're right, you're right. sure I, i'm sorry my mind just thinks uh, having spent so much time in I- the ip space yeah my whole career adult life i just think about every single permutation here and uh, the edge cases always have to do with violent content adult content uh, racist content you basically just look at the terms of service the things that are not allowed what if somebody took an ape and had them do that i mean it's it's you know again <laughs> not to belabor the point but show okay yeah all right everybody well there's yeah. your friday there's your friday news but fridays wouldn't be fridays if we didn't have okay boomer with rachel reporting let's tee up our okay boomer everybody loves this segment they really do. It's okay, Boomer. Why wouldn't we? It's producer Rachel out in the world finding mm. phenomenally interesting people. Uh, and this week we have Jordan Singer, the founder of Diagram, which mm. is evidently a software, a product that that creates new ways to design products and make design overall more accessible. Their first product was something called Automator, which is a plugin mm-hmm. for Figma. All of nice. these words make no sense to me, but it lets you custom drag and drop automations that turn time sensitive tasks into one click and presumably looks amazing because it's design focused which i love i am a big fan of uh figma i am in figma designs uh all the time uh and also envision these are the the two contemporaries i believe i was in a figma looking at um the deck for launch fund four some designers mm. are producing decks in them um i was in figma for inside.com which is uh we now have questions over there so you could post a story then we added youtube videos then we added spotify and itunes podcasts 
then we added um, uh, questions just last week. And next week, I just approved jobs. And then the, maybe in two weeks after that press releases, so I'm thinking of everything a business nice. person would want to share. Yeah, and making it like a single place to share every business thing to get feedback on it or to promote it. So jobs is coming, but I basically go inside of Figma. So this is a tool that enhances the Figma experience. Very cool. That's uh, great. And they've raised 3 yeah. million by uh, Ludlow Ventures. I, I know the Ludlow Ventures team, great team over there. So congratulations and enjoy a conversation with Jordan Singer of Diagram. Okay, Boomer. I understood the assignment. All right. Thank you so much, Jordan, for being on the segment of OK Boomer. I met Jordan on Twitter where I meet most people who come on the show, but I actually didn't see your startup first. Your startup is Diagram. Congrats on the recent raise. I saw a bunch of things you were building and then I checked out a website that you made that says I build my ideas. And I thought that was really, really cool. And that's why I continued to follow you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. So to start off, can you explain a little bit about the website, I Build My Ideas, because I think that is super awesome. And then can you also explain what Diagram is? Yeah, totally. So I Build My Ideas actually came about because I think it was when I was in college a few years ago, I was just building all of these side projects. And my whole thing had always been like building things that I wanted to exist in the world that I could, th I thought could solve my own problems that I could then you know, release and share and have people use and also solve their problems. And so it was all about kind of creating this umbrella personal brand, if you will, and um, bought ibuildmyideas.com and kind of ran with that. Um, and that's always been like my, my motto. And it even translates to Diagram, where I also own the domain, uh, webuildourideas.com. And that redirects to diagram.com. And Diagram is the the startup uh, I'm building with a, a small team of three at the moment where we're building AI product design tools inside of Figma. And I spent um, about four years uh, working at Square on the Cash App as a product designer on the design team. And that was an amazing experience, you know, just getting insight into the way that the, the team designs and how they use design tools and me being a firsthand product designer myself um, and connecting these dots because I have... Uh, a bit more of a technical background by nature. That's, you know, I got my start in, in code and did the computer science thing. And um, all these insights kind of led me to diagram and, and thinking about how to, uh, you know, introduce more design automation into the world. Because again, along this theme of I build my ideas, I saw myself doing a ton of manual, repetitive, uh, cumbersome things in the design tool and see a lot of really cool opportunity to, to build in that space. Very cool. I find that there's a lot of ideas people out there, but not a lot of executors. So it's really incredible uh, seeing how many people, especially how many people that inspire, uh, that you've inspired just from your Twitter presence. You were kind of talking about personal brand. I really like the tweets that you asked the question, like, what are we building today? Those are some of my favorite threads. If people are, people are uh, listening and do have Twitter, you have a great handle. It's just at J S N G R. Um, you are you are one of my favorite Twitter accounts to follow. I'm not gonna lie. And Diagram is awesome as somebody that really likes no code tools. I really like UX and UI. Um, I'm a huge fan of what you're doing. And I know your first product was Automator, which is a plugin for Figma. Can you explain a little bit about like the main goal behind Automator? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, back to my time at Square, a lot of what I did uh, really for fun on the side was build these internal design tools for our team, 
where designers were doing things that were uh, 20 minute tasks where they were just repetitively pointing and clicking and pressing a keyboard shortcut and repeating that thing over and over and over again. In my mind, a light bulb goes off and I see the opportunity to write a little you know, snippet of code to do that thing in two seconds when otherwise they would have been spending 20 minutes, an hour on some, some of these really repetitive tasks. And so um, Automator was this really fascinating idea. It's, it's one thing to be able to, to write Figma plugins on top of their developer ecosystem to, to write some code that can solve um, some of these you know, automation things. But it's another to be able to, to introduce no code into the design tool Totally. And allow anyone who doesn't know how to code to to create their own design automations for the the tedious stuff that they do inside of uh, uh, a a tool like Figma. And so, Automator is this no code visual way to basically build your own Figma plugins that can automate all the crazy you know layer renaming, organizing your files, uh, you name it inside of Figma. And it basically exposes the uh, entire Figma API visually, so anyone. Uh, who doesn't know how to code can create their own Figma plugins and automations and save, you know, tons of time. Awesome. So I'm getting your timeline correct here. You were in college, first job out of college was Cash App. I'm so surprised that you never went to go work at Figma because when, right when you graduated college, it was a few years ago. I know Figma has been rapidly growing. I know they were rapidly growing right when you graduated. Why did you decide instead of focusing on a company that was like incredibly UX UI focused, why did you decide to go to Cash App? Yeah, you know, what's interesting, uh, again, back to this like whole, I build my idea theme, like I, um, I love this, I, I love building things that I get to use myself. Yeah. And a consumer product like Cash App, you know, I had been using since the early days of Square when it was called uh, Square Cash, and it was actually email based. And that's how you like sent money to people over email. So just seeing the kind of evolution of that and being really inspired by Square um, is what ultimately I think led me down that path at the time of, of, of graduating from school. Figma actually wasn't really on my radar, to be honest, you know, like, like I think around that time in, you know, 2017 ish sketch was still kind of predominantly the, the main product design tool that a lot of teams were using. And interestingly enough, I kind of helped to lead that effort to migrate from sketch over to, to Figma within square. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, my coworkers always joke, like, like, are you splitting your time between Figma and Cash yeah. App at the same time? And because I was building so many things within Figma, but um, they're an amazing team and, and really grateful to have their support as well with uh, with Diagram and all the things that we're building. Yeah. So I said, like, I think in the beginning of the episode, I said, congrats on that raise. You raised a $3 million seed round led by the wonderful Ludlow Ventures. Other investors I saw over there, Figma, Figma was one of them, right? Yes, totally. Yeah, and, and our, uh, so cool. Thank you. Yeah. And, and just really grateful to have their support. They're such an amazing team and have been, ha- you know, just a, a huge fan ever since the, the migration of, uh, Figma within Square and, um, the developer ecosystem and all the amazing things they've empowered. Uh, you know, people like me building companies to, to build on top of their platform. It's just, uh, it's really tremendous. I love that. The first program I ever used was in school and it was Adobe XD. And I remember when I found Figma, it was like a life-changing experience because if you've ever had like Photoshop experience before, I th- actually think it's the best tool to learn after Photoshop because Photoshop is a little convoluted, has so many buttons and you don't, there's no innate understanding of how to use Photoshop. Like I'm sure it's gotten better since when I started and like 
high school, I honestly haven't touched Photoshop in a while. But when I was first starting out, you're like, what the heck do I do with this? If you go over to Figma after you know Photoshop, you're like, oh my gosh, like it's so, um, you know exactly what you're supposed to be doing right away. And I think that's such a good tale for a product. Totally. I mean, you know, it, it's so fascinating because the evolution of uh, specifically product design tools has been that we were actually designing user interfaces in Photoshop for the longest time. Oh my which gosh, is really, no. Which is ironic because, you know, Photoshop was made for photo editing and not yeah. to design, you know, apps and websites. But um, that I think that is actually a really fascinating, um, uh, you know, time around this whole schemorphic era where mm -hmm. Photoshop has all these crazy effects and things like that. And so we were seeing way more textures and gradients and things like that years ago in design. And as things shifted a bit more flat, you know, we saw the evolution of, of sketch and, and, uh, uh, finally for the first time, really, a, a design tool dedicated to designing apps and websites. And then Figma came along with their breakthrough, breakthrough to, uh, you know, make design collaborative and get your entire team inside of a design tool. And, uh, uh, since then it's, you know, been for me, I've just been a, a huge Figma fan. That's all. I love how you said flat because that's always how I describe sometimes when I see like Apple interfaces, which is obviously like if you're into product design or anything like that, Apple is Steve Jobs in particular. That era of Apple is like the be all end all. Uh, I'm sure you love Steve Jobs just as much as much as I do. But the flat nature of like what Apple pioneered in the product world, I feel like Figma does so well at replicating another app that is just beautiful in that same like note is Airbnb where like you would you wouldn't have an I just I just can't imagine building an app like that on something that wasn't Figma. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, Apple is a huge design influence to the entire industry. And so mm -hmm. when they shifted to flat in 2013, with the introduction of uh, iOS seven, everything else followed because you know, when you've got this schemorphic uh, app that has all these patterns and textures that looked really out of place inside of that new flat system that Apple came out with. And so they really established the trends and flat has stuck around for a while. And I think we're just now starting to see this, this slight turning point back towards introducing, you know, gradients Gradient, and more, yes. more like, you know, layering inside of design. I totally agree. I see gradients everywhere now and I don't know if I like them. I don't know yet. Uh, I almost <laughs> made a podcast cover for my own podcast a few years ago with a gradient that was made in Figma. And I was like, I don't know, but um, it's interesting um, that, Figma hasn't tried or has not yet like that your product does not yet exist automator I'm talking about um does not yet exist within Figma because I think in every other area of tech we have this automation right if you're looking at uh, like coding in general maybe you're on like SQL even in Excel you have this like automation that takes place whereas in like the design world it's a lot of doing the same thing over and over again are there any other areas within design besides automation that you think we could be focusing more on that would make it, a more accessible field? Yeah, you know, I think one of the key um, reasons why Diagram to this day is really even possible in some of these AI-oriented uh, things that we're exploring uh, in the intersection of like product design and AI uh, really goes back to the evolution of design systems. And if you think about it, you know, I, I got to see this certainly at Square. You know, we established this really incredibly robust design system, which lays out all the components and pieces that your app uses for your designers to pull from. So they're being really consistent with uh, every designer is using the same thing and things aren't out of whack. And it's all very, uh, very much looks and feels the same across the entire app, no matter who designed it. I think that the 
the evolution of design systems is kind of what's empowering some of this automation stuff. And certainly what I saw my pattern recognition pick up on as a designer was that I was going to our design system and pulling the pieces that I needed when I was designing something rather than designing something from scratch every time. Mm. And so um, when you think about the, the this kind of shift to more systematic and pattern-based design by nature, I think you're you're opening yourself up to the opportunity to automate a lot of what you see and not to say that it's going to you know completely replace uh, designers as, as a whole, but certainly be that uh, more assistive um, kind of companion as you're designing to make suggestions and even inspire you on ideas that you hadn't had previously. So um, design systems is certainly like at the core of what's empowering a lot of, you know, the the stuff that we're looking at building at Diagram. That's awesome. So I, I think the three areas that we could always focus more than product are like efficiency, usability and accessibility. So Diagram is obviously killing, killing that in that space. And you talked a little bit, you just mentioned how we're not going to replace designers, you know, that's not, that's probably won't be happening anytime soon, let's hope. Um, but I think that's really funny because we were chatting the other day, I, t- I tweeted something where I was like, girls only want one thing. And honestly, it's disgusting. Dolly two access. Um, <laughs> as like that, that was the thing that all the girls want. And then you, you and I started talking about Dolly two access. Do you think Dolly two, and you can explain, I guess, to start off what Dolly two is, but do you think that has the foundation to replace designers in the future? You know, what I what I look at it as, and, and I think OpenAI has done an amazing job, and it's another reason why uh, Diagram can even exist is they expose the, the power of these incredible models that they have all this data trained upon um, to, uh, in the power of these uh, uh, API endpoints that I can use who doesn't frankly have that crazy AI or ML background. And... Mm-hmm. Um, and so seeing things like GPT-3 was really inspiring and some of what they've done with uh, their their codex model that actually outputs code and how that's manifested inside of the the code editor with GitHub Copilot and it's effectively mm. autocomplete for code. That's really uh, inspiring for what we're doing and thinking about how we can translate some of those experiences and how it applies to design. But um, Dolly too, you know, certainly has been so fascinating as I think they've done a really great job of giving, you know, people access and the ability to share on social all the the crazy things that you can tell it and and just how amazing it is at, at outputting lots of different options and, and really photorealistic, you know, generative art and illustrations and uh, you know, photos that look like they were they're they're real. And it's just really, I think, capturing our imagination in ways that we only used to be able to visualize those those crazy thoughts in our minds and now yeah. to be able to see this AI actually output those things and be able to share it and react to it and, and truly like visualize those things, I think is a breakthrough. And so what's happening with, with Dolly is, is so fascinating because it's just, you know, really inspiring around, um, seeing AI make its way into design and, and art and things like that, which I think is, uh, a great use case. And so, um, I've been having a lot of fun with it. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people are trying to get their hands on it. Oh, 100. I am. I mean, I'm loving it. <laughs> it's so funny that you mentioned GPT-3 because the first time I ever saw it was when I was in college and I had a friend that automated an entire essay that we needed to write for school with it. And it was, it wasn't, you could tell, you could tell a little bit, but I was like, this is incredible. This can totally wipe out and just 
it first off increased like the levels of kids cheating in school like this is this is crazy but also it can wipe out like specific fields you know what i mean that maybe need to write research papers or white papers on certain information as long as you're not feeding it like extremely messy dirty data it would produce something that's really cool and i wonder how far it's going to be until i can write for for example like i'm really looking for another personal crm right now i use notion but i want a crm that does a bunch of really like specific things to my life and I'm like, at what point am I going to have a Dolly 2, a GPT-3 um, style tool where I can just type in, I want this type of app to do these specific things and for it to generate that for me? Like, how far away are we from that? Yeah, I don't think we're far off at all. And honestly, like, I think I know a lot of really smart people who are working towards some of those problems, including us in the product design space, hoping to make it make design way more accessible to, to anyone so that if you have an idea and find uh, Figma to be intimidating and, and you're mm -hmm. staring at a blank canvas and don't really know how to visualize the idea for an app or a website that you have in your head you know hopefully we can make that way more accessible to people and so that's what we're working towards and i think again this this idea of what open ai is doing and just making these really powerful models like in the case of gpt3 this really powerful language model that can take natural language input you can train it it can it can actually output a response um, we've done some really fun things with uh, Diagram that we're exploring uh, that, that use GPT-3. And so um, th the ecosystem that they're building and just making AI and ML way more accessible is uh, is another breakthrough that we're seeing. Yeah, it's so cool. I love that that was my first experience with like machine learning in general. It's impacted me a ton. So I'm excited to see what future products that you guys use. Uh, but on a, the Dolly 2 side, I can see the GPT-3 have a practical use case what do you think a practical use case is for Dolly 2? Like, what are people going to be able to use this for in the future besides just having, like, I don't know, cowboys riding dolphins? Yeah, you know, I think as far as um, generative art is concerned, it's 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 one thing as a really fascinating, uh, you know, opportunity just to visualize, you know, your crazy ideas. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of what we're seeing right now is mostly uh, feeding prompts for fun just to see what it can output. Um, over time, though, I, I do imagine that it starts to more uh, practically make its way and embed itself, even in, you know, something like Figma and, and things we're exploring where it can actually, you know, for example, if you're designing an app and and uh, you have placeholders for where people's avatars might go, you could use Dolly uh, and, and their API in the future to like automatically generate random avatars of people, you know, just as an example. I think there's so many use cases and and that's the cool thing about, you know, putting an API out there is just you don't know half the things that people will come up with. But um, I imagine that, uh, you know, people will do really crazy things with it. What do you think the overall impact of AI in product design and Figma and, you know, other user interfaces is for the long run? Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're at a point now where, um, again, kind of with this development of these really robust design systems, an amazing uh, developer ecosystem with Figma and the the power of these these amazing AI and ML models at our fingertips with OpenAI, all those things combined, I do see a lot of room to start thinking about you know a almost like a GitHub Copilot esque code autocomplete experience making its way into Figma, where you do have this companion that maybe it's not entirely designing for you, but it's taking some of what you've uh, you know started to put together connecting the dots, you know, taking context and drawing patterns and able to output iterations of what you've already started and kind of take you that next, 
you know, 10, 20, 30% of the way there. And then you can, of course, take that output and, and continue to adjust it further. And I think also for, you know, thinking about how non-designers really um, find Figma sometimes quite intimidating. It's, uh, it's something to, uh, there's something really to be said about the opportunity to, to take an idea that's in your head. And if you can imagine just being able to describe that design in words and have it output on the canvas and visualized and be able to take that thing and uh, really make it your own. Um, I think there's a, a, a ton of opportunity there. And so um, we're exploring a lot of different areas, whether it's related to um, copywriting and in, in user interfaces and, and the copy that's on uh, apps and websites to, uh, you know, designing for you and being that, you know, kind of creative uh, AI companion. So um, there's a lot of areas that we're exploring. And I think that it's just such a untapped space that we're really excited to just be really experimental and, and explore. I love that you keep mentioning uh, the GitHub, GitHub's co-pilot, which is like, like you said, autocomplete for code. Cause I was thinking about that the other day where I was like, I like that the tagline first off autocomplete for code. I think that sounds really good, but I want to see a Grammarly for Figma where, um, so I saw a picture of, I believe actually it was after I said how much I love them, but the Airbnb logo has some, um, like aesthetic mistakes to it where things aren't sy like sy symmetrical and things like that. I would love to see somebody create like a Grammarly style platform for Figma where, um, maybe there's like, it indicates where things aren't centered correctly, where things aren't smoothed out, where maybe it should be. So if you know anybody, or maybe if you guys are doing that, you know, just saying, putting, putting my idea out there, Grammarly yeah, for well Figma. <laughs> Yeah, won't won't uh, rule that out in the future, but you know certainly like that's that's the thing in design. You know, back to these design systems, often it's it's um it's in a designer's best interest to kind of break away from these these systems and really try to mm. you know think about how they could adjust things and change things to make it work for their particular design. And so there are some of these you know kind of um, linters, if you will, when you run them, they say like, hey this style is detached and doesn't belong in the system or whatever the case might be. Um, but, uh, but yeah, lots of, lots of fascinating stuff there. I'll, I'll keep that one in mind. How do you stay so inspired to build? Because um, obviously this isn't, if you, like I said, if you go to like your, your Twitter, if you go to your website, I build my ideas one, you're not just working on diagram there. You have like so much that you're working on. Where does this ins inspiration and motivation come from? Yeah, you know, I think it really goes back to like, I love to work on things that I get to use myself and I personally want to see in the world. So there's a, I think a really consistent pattern of, um, all the products that I've, um, put out there from the things we're building at Diagram to, uh, you know, airport, which was this test flight app store, uh, to Lil Wallet, which was a, an open source, you know, crypto wallet app. Like these are just things that I wanted for myself and, I, you know, I see the opportunity to, to just build things and design things. And I love that process so much and, um, just putting things out there and allowing other people, uh, to, to use it and, and solve their problems at the same time and get their feedback and, and see the excitement from, from them using it. Like that's, that's what really keeps me going. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a number of things, but really it boils down to, I also just frankly, selfishly love to get to use the things that we build. So. Uh, for, for myself. And so uh, in, in a lot of ways, it's, uh, it's inspiring. I am sure people have like so many conflicting opinions about this, but I actually love talking to founders 
who um, are the users of their product. And I know sometimes that's difficult because it's difficult to step away and see like an outside perspective. But I think it's so awesome that you were able to use everything that you build in your day to day. And I would love to see more people in the design space in particular branch off into this. There, there are so many amazing designers that I've, I follow that I would love to see do what you were doing. Like, for example, one of them, I don't even think he actually has product design, but, um, his name is Jack. He does visualize value. This account that has just really minimalistic, um, like graphics paired with quotes and it's almost like the visual version of what Jason really pushes on all the producers where he's like, take these really complex problems and say them in the most simplest way possible. And Jack is able to do that in design where it's the most simple design possible to convey a specific message. He's somebody that I would love to see like branch over into the uh, product design space. I'd be interest- interested to see what he would come up with um, in in your side of things. Is there anybody that you really look up to in the design space? Doesn't have to be product but that you just think is really on top of it. Yeah. You know, one of my um, absolute favorites, uh, probably favorite Twitter follow is uh, a friend, Joey Banks, who currently works at Twitter. And he, he's an amazing uh, contributor to the design community as a whole. Um, what he does is put together these uh, really complex uh, design kits, like the, the entirety almost of iOS as a UI kit for any designer to use that has over, you know, a hundred thousand, um, downloads on, on Figma. Like he's, he's a, an amazing contributor to the design community. And he always puts out fun little, um, teasers and things like that on, on Twitter, kind of like my style. And, yeah. um, you know, people like that, I just, I just really enjoy like those that put in so much time and effort and don't expect necessarily a whole lot in return and just do it because they love, they just love to do it. Like those are the, those are some of my favorite follows. So Joey, for sure. That's, I love, I absolutely love his page. One of the reasons why I like both of your pages is because you guys both add the little video components. And I found that in design, not, I love static things, like don't get me wrong, but when you're doing something on Figma uh, in particular, seeing how it's done is oftentimes like 10 times more impressive and interesting than just seeing the final output. And I really wish, going back to Steve Jobs, that this style of like videotaping when you're designing in like a very short format, not like the whole thing, obviously, but seeing him design like just or whoever was designing the products at the time, um, seeing like them create maybe mini short videos. That would be cool to see actually, you know, how they have those entire movies for Disney where they talk about like the authors and the illustrators that write Disney movies. That mm-hmm. would be cool for like the top people that made like all the, the really legacy UX, UI, beautiful apps, like even down to like, like Robin Hood, Airbnb, like I mentioned, maybe like the app store or something like that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It, it's fun. Sometimes people record these time lapses of them just working in Figma. Yeah. And you get to see the, the really rough, raw process and all the iteration that happens and how they go, they diverge and converge and just repeat that process until they find something that they like and they think works. And, uh, the design process is, is really messy. And so anytime you get a, a glimpse behind the scenes, I, I agree. It's uh, super fun. It is. It's super, it's super awesome. And I love, um, Joby is really cool too, not just with looking at uh, UX UI, but I know that on his Twitter, he focuses a lot on looking at old products, like actual physical, like displays and things like that, which is great. And one, some of my favorite things that you focus on though are buttons. Um, you do a lot of different things with buttons and maybe like even like the small, I saw 
one thing that I thought was just really cool when you posted a tweet and it was like opposite day and it was the Uber logo in pink and the Lyft logo in black, like they were switched. Um, how do you know as a designer or how do you find inspiration in what to like pinpoint out and to fix or redesign? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really comes in the form of um, just lots of iteration. Like I think if you see a lot of times what ends up happening in these, in these Figma files that designers are designing in, it's pretty common to have a uh, scrapped page mm-hmm. where you've just got a, a huge dump of all the iterations that you've done and you're just saving them as, as little uh, timestamps for uh, a design at a given time to reference back to perhaps. And so it, it really, you start to just truly refine through lots of iteration and duplicating what you have. If you, something doesn't feel quite right about it and kind of tweak a few things and take that thing and tweak it a little more. And just that process of refinement is, I think, really where, you know, you, you sharpen your design and get to a point where you're happy with it. But it's, you know, design is just such an iterative process and, uh, uh, also very messy at the same time. And it's, it's a great feeling when you know that you landed on, you know, the final version. Cause a lot of times it can take quite a while to get there. It's so funny how you call it messy because everything that you do, I find your design uh, style to be very clean. So really <laughs> awesome to hear you say the prod, like the, the process of it's messy at least because you make it look yeah. easy. Thank you so much for coming on. And again, congrats on that $3 million seed round. I, I keep looking at the people like I have to like shout you out a little bit. Like you have some crazy freaking investors on here. Like we mentioned Figma, Shrug Capital's on here, not boring capital. Absolutely love like investors from companies that operate at Meta, Block, Stripe, GitHub, Party Around, Gumroad, Polywork, and Italic. Like you are just killing it. Super excited to see what you do uh, in the future. Where can people find you in Diagram if they want to check you out? Yeah. And thanks so much for having me. You can find Diagram at Diagram on Twitter and Diagram.com. And you can find my personal website, IBuildMyIdeas.com and on Twitter at JSNGR. That's crazy how you got Diagram.com. So congratulations. Jason's going to love to hear that. He always talks <laughs> about how hard it is to get uh, those uh, simple <laughs> URLs and at Diagram. Wow. Incredible. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jordan. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.